Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're in a series called Build Your Church, where we're digging deep into the core values that guide our church. In the first week, Pastor Nicole discussed how we can trust the Word of God and anchor our teachings in the truth of the Bible. Last week, she reminded us that the church is created to be for others, not just the insiders of the church. Today, Pastor Nicole will examine the need to be purposeful in our outreach. She's going to dig deep into three stories from the Bible that show us how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are fully engaged with the redemption of mankind. So let's continue our series, Build Your Church. I'm part of the Fellowship of the Unashamed. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of His. I am a disciple of His. I won't look back let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need position, promotion, and popularity. I don't have to be right first praised or rewarded. I now live by faith, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer, and I labor with power. My face is set, my goal heaven, my road is narrow, my way rough, my companions are few, my guide reliable, my mission clear, my mission clear, my mission is clear, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up. I am a disciple of Jesus. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop. Tell, till all know the work till he stops me. Until he comes, my mission is clear. Love God and his people. Build Jesus-centered lives. And send out spirit-led disciples. Lord. Build your church. Lord, build your church. Lord, build your church. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, We're in a series called Build Your Church, and I'm really excited to continue it today. We're going to cover several key passages in the scripture, and I asked Pastor Andy if he would just stay up here and help me read those passages um, that I'll be preaching from. That's why he's right here. So I'm always glad when my team can help me today. Um, We've spent a few weeks looking carefully at a very important passage Um, In the Gospel of Matthew, I'm going to give you a quick review in case you missed them, but this passage is arguably one of the most important in the Bible. And in it, we are taught the central affirmation of the Christian faith. So in this particular passage, we are looking at a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, and specifically with a man named Simon Peter. And so Jesus says to the man, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answers in Matthew 16, 16, and he says this, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. If you believe that this morning, can you give God just a little bit of applause today? You are the Messiah, 
the son of the living God. And the reason why this was so important is that Jesus wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a great prophet. He wasn't just a, a person that we read about in history. He is, was, is, and always will be the Messiah, the son of the living God. And this confession of faith blessed the Lord himself, and, and it testified to who Jesus was. And the importance of this confession, I cannot stress enough, okay? If a man or a woman affirms Jesus to be anything other than what he says here, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, then their faith is in someone or something that will never be able to save them. And so this is very important. So Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 16, 18, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And we talked about how it was and is on this confession that Jesus pledged to build his church. The rock that he's speaking of in this passage is the fact that believers everywhere for generations will declare you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. It will never change. It will always will be. And as we declare it, that is the rock upon which the church is built. And last week we talked about what the word church means. It means an assembly of called out ones. And we talked about what, what are we called out from? Well, we're called out from, from sin, and we're called out from fear, and we're called out from hopelessness, and we're called out uh, of things that, that get us down and discourage us, and we are called into the hope of Jesus. And that church built on that confession or is built with the promise that the gates of Hades shall never prevail against it. Whenever I turn, it might be here, it might not. It's just a surprise to me. It's not there. Okay, so let's keep going. <laughs> So if we believe these things about the Messiah, and if we believe that he's the living God, what I want to talk about today is there is a certain response that is required of us. We have to believe it. We have to confess it. But also, this idea that Peter himself spoke it, declared it, shared it out loud, it matters. And it matters not just to our faith, but to the building of our church, you know, uh, when Jesus uh, prayed, the, the very last prayer, the last recorded prayer that he prayed on earth, we find in John 17. And Jesus takes time to pray for the church. He could have prayed for so many things. He could have prayed for himself. He could have prayed for the world to know him. He could have prayed for so many things. But you know what he did? He prayed for the assembly of the called out ones. And you know what's so incredible to me? Is Jesus in that moment, you know who he prayed for? Erie First Assembly, and he prayed for Grace Church, and he prayed for Elevate, and he prayed for Lake Erie Church, and on and on and on, and he does this because the church is God's plan A for changing the world. The church is God's plan A for changing the world. Healthy, bold, focused churches that are clear about the gospel are God's plan for engaging the world in the message of Jesus. And in John 17, he's praying that we would love Jesus the way that God loves Jesus, and we would love Jesus the way Jesus loves us. And when we do that, that people would know that this Jesus we're talking about is real. Now, let's be honest. Some people have given up on the church. Some believers have given up on the church. You, you probably know one. You can think of maybe someone who you've talked to. Maybe they're faith-filled, but they say, well, the church just isn't for me. 
or I got hurt by the church and now I'm just going to follow Jesus from home and, and I'm not going to deal with those pesky people, those people. <laughs> They're the ones that really get on my nerves. Or maybe, you know, there's been so many problems with the church over the years there's been moral failures and there's been bad leadership and impropriety. And how, maybe they say, how can it be something that we're supposed to participate in? The church isn't uh, how Jesus wants to be the church, so therefore I won't do the church because it's not how Jesus wants to be the church. And here's the truth about all that. Are you ready? The truth is this they're right. They're right. The church is complicated, it's messy. Nobody knows that better than the people who work on staff here, okay? It is hard. If you're a pastor, you understand that. And many times the church makes mistakes. We do not reflect the way that Jesus should. In fact, it's imperfect and it's full of imperfect people. And I don't know if you know this, but that whole imperfect people, amen, that we just gave amen to, that's talking about you. Don't throw anything at me, all right? That's you and that's me. And that's the people that we love the most and the people we're most frustrated about. And, and I got to thinking that it's a good thing the church isn't about you and me, isn't it? It's a good thing that the church doesn't exist to please you and please me because that would be impossible. And it's a good thing that the existence of the church does not depend on you and upon me because we would mess it up. But the church is God's design. And listen, hear me say this. Jesus loves the church. And as believers, we're supposed to love what God loves. So I've got to challenge you on this. If you're like, ah, I'm just a little bit critical about the church. I mean, I went to this one and they did this and this one, this was screwed up. And, 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 but here's the, the idea. No matter what you say, the scripture teaches us this. The church is God's plan A for changing the world. That's his plan. And if this is God's plan, then listen, we got to get on board. And we got to be part of the solutions. We got to be, we can't be part of the problem. Okay, we got to work on that. But we also have to realize that, listen, if Jesus loves the church as he's telling us he does, then the church is God's plan A for changing the world, and we need to love the church. I was talking to Pastor Andy this morning about just the message, and I was telling him, you know, here's, here's what I feel like was on my heart. And, and as I was preparing this part, the Lord said to me, you know, revival comes with repentance, and I said, yeah, I've been saying that a lot. He's like, I know, you know, <laughs> I've been telling you to say it a lot. And I really, I just feel really impressed. Right now, I just think we need to take a moment. You know, this is all the Lord's day, right? He can do whatever he wants with it. And I just really believe that we need to, to pause and pray for just a moment. Because God wants to remind us that we need to love the church. And I just want to take a minute, and I want you to just examine your heart, and I want you to ask God to forgive you in the ways that maybe you have not loved the church, or forgive you in ways that maybe you've been critical or you've spoken against it, or forgive you for ways that maybe you've spoken against past churches or present churches or, or, or people in the church that have hurt you. Because here's the thing, listen, those are all probably valid. I'm not telling you to say that the church hurt you've experienced is not valid. It's valid. But here's the truth. The church is God's plan A for changing the world. And if we can't get past that and we can't love that God created this for us, then we will never engage in a way that God can use us. So let's do that. Bow your heads down just for a minute, right where you are. 
I'm just going to be quiet, and, and then I'm going to pray here in just a minute. And would you just ask God uh, to change your heart towards people in the church, to, to give you a new love for the church, to, to straighten out your thoughts about it, because many of us have been hurt or disillusioned by it in a lot of ways. So just ask the Lord now. Father, we want to love the church the way that you do. We declare and believe that this is your idea and this is your plan. And so, Father, forgive us for ways maybe we've been critical, for ways we've stayed offended. Lord, forgive us for um, ways that we have not engaged in the mission that you have for us through the church. Would you reveal, make our heart right before you? God, we, we know that revival comes with repentance. And so, God, we're, we're sorry for the things that we have made church about. We're sorry for making it about us or making it about other things. And God, we just want you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so here at Erie First, uh, we have a mission statement. I've been telling you every week, and it comes with these scriptural truths. So let me read it to you. We exist to love God and his people, build Jesus-centered lives, and send out spirit-led disciples. And, and we have five core values that align our mission to God's word. And let me show you these values. They are anchored teaching, spirit-led worship and prayer, redemptive community, purposeful outreach, and radical generosity. And over these last few weeks we've been talking about, we talked about anchored teaching, talked about redemptive community last week. We had a party, and I'm so glad we did, because have you seen the weather today? All right, so those snow cones tasted better dry. Um, and then today, I want to share with you about purposeful outreach. So uh, where I found in the scripture some of the most significant things about purposeful outreach was in Luke 15. There's some epic parables uh, that you've probably heard before, but I hope to give you maybe a new look at them today. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Um, I want to tell you before we read these that these parables are not just three of the same ways to make the same point. Okay, actually, um, they, they tell the whole story together. So we actually have to look at all of them. They speak to us about the value of purposeful outreach. And so the first parable is of the lost sheep, and Pastor Andy is going to read it to you. It's from Luke 15. Luke 15, 3 through 7. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Okay, I love this because Jesus is actually speaking to shepherds and he is a shepherd. So it's like he's, he's leveling with them. He says, look, these people, uh, they know the work of a shepherd. They know there's some stink involved in this line of work. <laughs> there, there is some dirty work that comes with it. Uh, the shepherd tends the sheep and serves the sheep. And the shepherd knows his sheep, protects them, leads them in the morning. Basically, these sheep are like the shepherd's best friends. They hang out all day long. And Jesus is saying, listen... Suppose one of your 100 sheep get lost. What would you do? Fred, Ralph, I don't know. He kind of looks like a Ralph to me. What would you do if this one got lost? How would you handle it? 
And Jesus, who is the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, explains to this audience of people what he would do when one sheep went astray. And it's so simple. He looks until he finds that sheep. He goes after that one. He leaves the 99 until he finds the one. That is the strategy of the shepherd. He doesn't send his servants. He doesn't make a search committee and say, text me in the updates. He doesn't say, there's, there's more work to do here, so I'm going to go ahead and stay. You just let me know how it goes. The strategy is that the shepherd himself personally goes and seeks out the lost sheep. It's as if as soon as he hears one's missing, his heart is just all wrapped up in that one lost sheep. The one thought seems to, to possess his entire being. One of my sheep is lost, and so immediately he goes out into the search with urgency. Now here's what I find interesting. This wandering sheep, that's not there anymore, might not even be concerned about the shepherd. That sheep might not be even giving the shepherd a thought. That sheep is not wandering around maybe thinking, I don't know where my shepherd is. He might just be looking for another patch of grass or trying to, to find the, the thing that he wants to eat. But the only thing the shepherd is thinking about is that one lost sheep. He loves that sheep and he cannot bear the thought of it being lost. Now, I got to thinking, how does the shepherd know where to look? And in John 10, 14, another gospel, it can help us with that. It says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is talking about himself. And he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. That good shepherd knows what patch of grass the sheep tends to wander to. He knows what hill the sheep gets stuck on. He has an idea of where the sheep might run and hide because the good shepherd knows his sheep. And this parable reminds me that the chief shepherd knows who I am. The chief shepherd knows where I am. The chief shepherd knows what I need. The chief shepherd knows where I tend to get stuck. He knows where I tend to wander. He knows how to protect you. He knows how to bring you home. And he knows how to keep you home. That's what the chief shepherd knows what to do. All right, now let's look at the second one, uh, second parable told in Luke 15. 8 through 10. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Okay, the first thing I noticed about this parable is that a woman loses something. I mean, I don't know how much I believe this story because that's not the typical thing in my house. All right, so uh, a woman loses it. Usually I'm finding it. Okay, but in all seriousness, um, these are, there are a few interesting things to know about this lost coin that can give us some insight into this parable. Okay, so think about this. A coin is not a living thing. Okay, it's not like the sheep. It's an inanimate object altogether without life, and it cannot want to be lost or found. I, I kind of um, projected the idea of the sheep. Maybe he wanted to be found. Maybe he didn't realize. We don't really know uh, how the sheep felt. But the coin, we can know for sure, has no feelings. It needs nothing. It's totally ignorant of its lost condition. 
Now, we also know the coin was lost in a dark place. The, the scripture makes sure to tell us that. And the woman had to light a lamp to find it. Perhaps why Jesus used the example of a coin lost in a dark place is that so many people don't even realize that they are lost, right? They don't even realize they're living in a lost state. The darkness spiritually around them keeps them from understanding that they need Christ. They are ignorant of their lost condition, and so there is no effort to be found. And, and I'm sure you can think of people like this uh, that don't even, they, they don't want to know God. They don't even think that that's, that's important. They're lost. They don't even know it. They're in the darkness. Now, it's interesting. Some theologians say that the lamp being lit is a symbol of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the first parable was talking about Jesus, the great shepherd, right? His role in seeking and saving the lost. The second parable is showing the role of the Holy Spirit, illuminating our need for Christ's redemption. Hey, hey, let me show you that you are lost. Like you may have never wanted to be found before because you didn't know you were lost, but the Holy Spirit, it comes in and says to someone, hey, there is something more for your life. Like that hurt and grief and brokenness you feel, you don't have to live like that anymore. That's the Holy Spirit that comes in and explains that to a soul that is lost and doesn't even know it. And the only way for spiritual darkness to disappear is for the light of the gospel to overtake it. And so here's something, oh, just so precious about this parable, it just blew my mind. All right, so listen to this. Even though the coin was lost, it was not forgotten. It was not disowned. Okay, so the woman, she knew she had 10 pieces of silver. When she counted, she had only nine, and she was very aware of that lost coin. And, and this is what the Lord wants to show us with this. If someone is in spiritual darkness and has long forgotten God, Jesus is reminding us he has never forgotten them. He has never forgotten them. Amen. He, he is not unaware of those that are not in his presence. There is no lost coin that he has now decided he's not chasing after, that, that he knows and the woman also, knowing the coin was lost, oh, this is so great, she still says it's hers. She says, look, I don't know where it is. It's in darkness, but it's mine. It's mine. When she lost its possession, she did not lose her ownership of it. So just because the coin was lost doesn't mean it became somebody else's. The coin still belonged to her, and she was not giving up to find it. Do you see what the Lord is showing us here? That even if, if someone says, hey, I'm not God's, I'm not going that direction, God still says, well, I still created you. I still want you. I still love you. I'm still going to work as hard as I can to get you into the kingdom of God. That's some good news right there. This is how Jesus feels about those who are living far from him and living in spiritual darkness. He still created them. He still wants them to engage in a relationship with him. God has not disowned or forgotten them. Okay, so we got the sheep, we got the coin. The third parable in Luke 15 is one of the lost son. And if you remember this parable, uh, a man had two sons. He split his wealth between them. The younger went out, squandered everything he had. Uh, he was starving. He was living among pigs. And he decided to go back, say sorry to his father. He was worried about what his father would do and how he would react. And we pick up uh, in this story in Luke 15, 20 through 24. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, 
Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So good. So the older brother who had used his wealth wisely is mad. He's bitter. He's angry uh, because the younger brother found favor. But the father reminds the older brother that the fact that the younger brother came back was worth celebrating. He was lost, but now he's found. And you know what's interesting? As far as I know, and I've read, I've read this scripture a lot of times, this is the only place in the word of God where God is pictured as being in a hurry. The only place in the word of God that the Lord God is running to greet his sinful son that he's like, oh, you're coming home. Here I come. Like, I'm not waiting any longer. And I just, I'm so grateful that when we take one step in God's direction, he runs all the way to us. Isn't that so good? Hallelujah. One step on. in God's direction, and he runs Hallelujah. all the way. When we are still a great way off, God comes to us in mercy. Okay, so here's what, if we look at all these three parables in conjunction with each other, here's some things I learned. The lost sheep portrays the work, the saving work of God the Son. The lost coin portrays the saving work of the Holy Spirit. And the lost son portrays the saving work of God the Father. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all fully engaged and fully consumed with the redemption of mankind. All three of them. Yeah, give God thanks for that. We see in the Trinity, in its fullness in Luke 15, in those parables, helping people find relationship with God must be top priority. It is top priority for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So to assign all three members of the Trinity to this task, it must be so important to the Lord. It's interesting, too, in all the, all the parables, um, when the lost things are found, two things happen. They go tell their friends and neighbors, and they celebrate that's always happening. And the parables end with declaring that the celebration for one soul that repents, when one person turns their heart to God, all of heaven turns their attention. You know, there's always joy in heaven, but the Lord tells us that when God saves a soul, joy swells up in heaven and overflows, and there's an outburst of, of irrepressible gladness in the presence of the angels of God every single time someone comes home to God. In these parables, it is God himself who is represented as rejoicing. Okay, don't miss that. So remember, the shepherd has joy, the, the woman representing the Holy Spirit, finding her last coin, and then the father has joy. And so what does that tell us about God's character? Like, what does that tell us about God's desire for us? He is joyful when we turn back to him. You know, I think so often the enemy wants us to think, you cannot go back to God, you have screwed up too much. You have made that mistake. You're so far from him. Don't, don't you go to that church. Don't you talk to those people. Don't you do that because you are messed up. And you know what we see in the scripture? The exact opposite of that, that God is not waiting at the door to come in and say, all right, I told you so. I knew you would mess this up again. God is rejoicing in every single parable. And he's just saying, oh, you took one step in my direction. And here I am with everything I got welcoming you home. 
God has a universe to run. He has galaxies to uphold. He has atomic particles to manage and governments to rule. Yet the greatest pleasure is when one soul repents. That's what he's saying to us. He says, look, this is all I want. And sometimes I think we just mix up so much the importance that God pursues people one at a time. So let me say this. If you're here today and no one has ever told you that God is pursuing you, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus or, or you're in spiritual darkness, I want to tell you Christ is chasing after you like the one sheep and like the lost coin. And he's waiting for you just to take one step in his direction, like the father in the prodigal son parable, so he can run a million miles in your direction just to forgive you and restore your life. That is the truth. That is the truth of this word. And all you have to do today to make that decision is, is repent of your sin and receive God's grace. His cross did the rest of the work. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, or even if you have a question about that, don't leave this building before you talk to somebody. Okay, there, there are prayer team members at these tables to my right and to my left at the end. There are pastors down front. There's people with these ask me tags. That's what they mean. You can also ask them about the bathroom. But also, they want to talk to you about things of spiritual consequence. And don't ignore God's pursuit of you one more day. All right, there's one more thing, though. There's a challenge in Luke 15. If you are a believer, if, you, if you've crossed over that line and you are serving God, we can't miss this. We see that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are completely engaged and fully consumed with the redemption of mankind, that he has charged us, the church, God's plan A, with a spiritual mission to continue the work. Well, let me tell you what the statistics are. Is that the further we get from the moment we encounter Christ, the less and less we share the gospel with others. I don't get it, but this is what happens. When we first get to know the Lord, we're like asking everybody. We're like, everybody at work, out pile in the van, you know, let's go. And then we come to church for five years or 10 years or 15 years or 20 years. And all of a sudden we, we realize like, yeah, I'm going to, uh, it's kind of inconvenient to swing by. So if you can't get there, you can watch online. <laughs> And we begin to, to make this less and less important to share with others. In fact, I will even say that you might be really good at spirit-led worship and prayer. Like, you are so good at that. And you might be awesome at redemptive community. Like, you're in Christian organizations, and, and you have accountability partner and a small group, and that is all awesome. But the truth is, if you are at a place in your spiritual life that you are not sharing the message of Jesus Christ to anyone— you are missing out on the spiritual mission of the heart of God. And we cannot get to a place as believers in Jesus that we are doing all the things inside the church really, really well, but we're forgetting about the way that Jesus pursues people with the love of God. In fact, we're not like Jesus unless we ourselves are pursuing people with the love of God. So here's a question for you to answer in your mind. When is the last time you pursued someone with the love of God. I'm not asking when the last time is you put a scripture verse on your Facebook or when you talked with another Christian about what God is teaching you. Those are good things. Those are good things. But here's what I'm asking you. When is the last time you pursued someone with the love of God the way the woman looked for that coin 
and the way the sheep left it all and looked for that sheep, and the way the father ran to the son. When is the last time that you had a burden so much for someone in your life, the way Luke 15 describes, that you prayed about it so hard that you could not let that go because you know that our father in heaven has this love for this person? When was that last time? I prayed this morning that this would be so convicting to us as a church family that it would literally like silence the room. That we couldn't leave here uh, uh, thinking about it. I kind of pray I'm in your head all week, okay guys? <laughs> I pray that this question just gets you a little bit because here's the thing, we're just not living the way the church is made to live. We're just not being the way that the church is designed to be if we are not pursuing people with the love of God like Luke 15 is. Now, this is not meant to be beat yourself up or, or to be shameful. I want you to leave fresh today with a new motivation that the heart of God found in Luke 15 would be our heartbeat. That that would be what we do. Yeah, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go and we're gonna, we're gonna sweep the room till we find that person and we're gonna love them until they understand the heart of God. Here's the shepherd's strategy. I believe we can follow it. God cares for people one at a time one at a time. He personally searches them out. In just a minute, I'm going to have you stand. And today I want to pray that God would show you one person. I'm not asking you to, to call the office and organize an evangelism event this week. Actually, we got that going. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask the Lord, who is one person in my life that needs to know, come into relationship with you? And I want you to pray that God would open opportunities for you to talk to them, to share with them, to show them the love of Christ, to invite them to come be in the presence of God. And I want you to pray for that person every day. Pray that you would be ready with the words when the door opens to share your experience with Christ and that you yourself, not even Pastor Don or Pastor Adam, that you could lead them into relationship with Jesus because you can do that. You don't have to be a pastor to do that. In fact, that's part of our call as Christians. If you are purposeful in your outreach, God can do incredible things in your life. Can you imagine if each of us did that here today, if you took my challenge seriously, 600 more people could know the love of Jesus. Just if you did one, just one time. I hereby declare like every Sunday, bring your friend to church Sunday. I'm not even gonna make that a thing, okay? Just every Sunday. Even if we don't have snow cones, <laughs> just bring somebody with you. And you know why? Not because we want to fill the seats or we want to hit some quota. You know why I want you to bring somebody with you? Because there is a lost coins and lost sheep and lost sons all over the place. And we were once those. And God's plan to reach them is you. God's plan to reach them is you. And I want you to hear that today. And take that on as a very serious assignment. And so would you stand? I want to pray this, mor this, yeah, this morning. Let's pray together. I'm just going to give you a 10 seconds. I want you to think about, ask the Lord, who is this person? Who is the person that I need to pursue with the love of God? Ask the Lord to bring just someone to mind. It might be someone that surprises you. Just get that person in your head. We're going to pray for them.
Holy Spirit, nobody wants this person in our minds to come to you more than you do. And so God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity is on mission to bring people into relationship with you. God, thank you that we're just coming alongside your mission. God, would you open doors for conversation with this person? God, would you soften their heart? Would you illuminate their spiritual darkness? Would you help them know that all they have to do is take one step in your direction and you will take all the rest of the steps? God, would you give us the words to say? Lord, I pray that each of us would take this mission so seriously and so critically as we leave here today. God, because your heart for the world is the message of the gospel in Luke 15. God, that there's no mountain you won't climb up. There's no wall you won't kick down. So God, help us just do the work that you've already done. God, we love you. I'm praying testimonies and miracles today among us that as we open our mouths and declare your goodness, that you will do the miraculous. And God, it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. We'd love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. You can follow Erie First on Facebook or Instagram or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.